Love this because it's ownership, direct title ownership. We're literally taking those 230 acres. We took the first subdivision that was planted, which is the first 30 hectares. We subdivided them into one hectare lots, and one hectare is 2.47 acres. And so that two and a half acres becomes your lot. You directly hold title to it. And then you have, just like you would have a property manager for uh, a multifamily, you have a farm manager. What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Karen Williams from the Global Investor Alliance. Today, we're talking about investing in agricultural assets overseas. Karen has some very specific and important insights into overseas agricultural investing. She also invests in multifamily. We talk a little bit about that today, but really today, we're really focusing on uh, her overseas farm investments business and what they do, what she does for her investors and what that all looks like and some very important mistakes to avoid if you are investing overseas. I haven't done any of this investing myself. I have definitely uh, looked at it, considered it. We've talked about it on the show before and definitely very interesting. And if I was going to be investing overseas, I would want to know uh, the things that Karen has to say today, because like I said, she shares some very specific insights and important insights into say, mistakes to avoid or things to make sure uh, that you've done or that your uh, sponsor, the person that you're investing with has done before you make an investment in an overseas agricultural asset or an agricultural asset here in the US. We talk about that as well, but it's a lot of uh, a lot of overseas, and she tells us why they focus on overseas agricultural investing rather than the U.S. Really, where it's coming from. Uh, we talk about one. So, I learned plenty today, and I'm sure you will as well. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Vote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy apartment buildings with passive investors and split the return. I love learning new things, and I love traveling overseas. And this is both of those. So without any further ado, here we go with Karen Williams from the Global Investor Alliance. Karen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Taylor. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited to talk with you. We've been chatting for about a half an hour here before we hit uh, record. And you have a, a very cool business built around uh, some interesting investments, multifamily and some farming and all kinds of things. And uh, I really want to focus on the the farming aspect today. But before we dive into it, can you tell the <laughs> listeners a little bit about uh, yourself, your business, and your background? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, my full name is Karen Williams, and the current business that we run is Global Investor Alliance. I co-founded it with my partner, Peter Badger, and that was back in 2018. And we have been running basically this sort of investor group, investor mastermind um, for the last two years and have raised probably about $7 million from that group, investing in various projects, like you say, focused on mostly recession resilient asset classes being multifamily housing and food um, in the agribusiness or farming space. And I really got into this because real estate has always been in my life. I think, um, as my parents were saying, we kind of fixed and flipped our first home when I was five. I could 
growing. I could hit a hammer and nails and there we go. We started with that, but it's always been something. I lived in San Francisco Bay area for many years. I started as a, a commercial lender actually on the East coast and then moved out to California after I had been working for PricewaterhouseCoopers as a management consultant through all of my 20s into my 30s, moved out to California, continued with them remotely for a while, but then really got into kind of healthcare, healthcare technology, healthcare services, and doing sort of some consulting, but corporate marketing and sales types um, roles with them. And I just always wanted to come back to making real estate more of a front and center part of my life. And I had a couple of opportunities to flip houses in Northern California, did well with that and started to seed capital. And then as I got myself to the balance of more passive income, less active income, and I could finally make that shift, that's that's where I went is towards this real estate. And I grew up on a hobby farm. So the farming and food, organic was life for me before people ever called it organic and talked about it, you know, and I hated it as a kid at the time, you know, feeling like I was so far away from my friends out on this kind of farm property, but it was phenomenal learning. And I've really used the base of my commercial lending and consulting to really guide my path of process and data-driven analysis so that I feel like an informed, confident, and competent investor. Otherwise, that fear factor is hard to overcome to really just jump in. So our mission has really been to help other um, corporate professionals, business owners who are super invested in their active income. So they're income rich, but real time poor. And so our our mission is to help give them the tools to still be able to start building that passive income to allow them to have more choice in life about how they live their life and um, what they engage in. So yeah, that's how we've gotten started. It's a great goal. So, um, you know, about the farms that you look for, the things that you invest Mm -hmm. in, and you were telling me a little bit about that um, Mm -hmm. before we hit the record button. But, uh, you know, out of the country, overseas, like tell us about the kind of assets you look for and why Mm -hmm. you pick those things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we do generally look in the Latin American region. Um, I know if you listen to people like Ray Dalio, listen to him a lot on YouTube and uh, Kathy Wood, lots of other folks about emerging markets and the opportunities in emerging markets. And as we have all seen at this point, like, you know, I mean, what what bubble are we not in? I think we're in the everything (laughs) bubble, right? The places for opportunity for real growth and appreciation are in these emerging markets. And so Latin America is prime for that. It really has sort of an agricultural past and history to it, but without the capital and sophistication behind it to to, to sort of really elevate that, there are uh, countries like Panama, Colombia that are really focused on drawing in foreign direct investment and and do that quite smartly and make it easy for investors, good foreign property rights and those sorts of things that make investors comfortable in it. And so we look for those kinds of things, you know, are there currency and controls? Are there are there good laws around foreign foreigners owning property? movement of the funds, how is it, how is the, is the, is the um, project structured, you know, where are the operating companies, where's the holding company, how's the money going to flow? So we look at things like that. We absolutely look at the track record of the asset managers and what success they have behind them, their transparency, 
and willingness to communicate in depth their financial models and their business plans so that we can really dig in and vet them. That's an important aspect. The Latam region in general has tremendous natural resource there and lower cost. And so that makes it really ideal as well. As I mentioned before we hit record, we are still continuing to look for opportunities in the U.S. We just think that they're probably more in the indoor growing type of opportunities, being inside warehouses, maybe in urban centers, getting the food source closer to where the population is. And of course, we might have a little shift to where that goes right now, since we've got movement from the urban to the suburban, right? Um, but still within close uh, vicinity, like there's a project that we're looking at now that um, is, is starting their first warehouse in um, North Philadelphia area. Because you know, being in Richmond, that whole 95 corridor, I mean, that is a mass of population densely, you know, packed in between, you know, Boston and DC, really. And so, so if we can have some good strategic start with the first pilot project, this goes well. Um, there's a lot of interest from, you know, grocery chains and so forth in being able to buy this produce almost like fresh made available for them. You know, the ready-made salads are such a hot, hot grocery item because people want easy and convenience. They're trying to eat healthier, but you've got to make it easy for them kind of because everybody's so busy type of thing. And um, so we do like that in the U.S. We do think there's a, there's some opportunity coming there. But again, you got to look at the cost of the real estate which is usually the hurdle and, uh, and the cost of energy because of course the lighting and all the indoor growing. So it's, it's, it's definitely a whole other beast to examine and really get to know and, and deeply understand. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we have found that the critical element is not everybody focuses on the cultivation and what you're growing, but if you don't have a buyer set up before you start, that's not a good choice, you know? So there's all the market research behind what product are you actually going to grow and cultivate and understanding the market demand and where you, where, where are you hoping to distribute local, global, you know, what are you, what are you trying to achieve? And, and, and what are the products that are really getting the yield? What is the spoilage factor? What is the transport factor? All these kinds of things you have to think about with agricultural product. And um, this is why we love the coconuts. Coconuts don't really spoil so much. You know, you get mangoes, avocados, those, you know, you have a short window to get oh, it right yeah. type of thing. I think I Unless have a bad you... avocado sitting in the kitchen right now. <laughs> right, exactly. And nobody wants one of those. You open that thing up and it's awful. Right. So, um, so yeah, so these are, so I do think there is opportunity in the U.S. I don't want to be totally poo-poo on it, um, but I'm, I'm, we're not really interested in like the soy, the wheat, the hemp, the, the, those big type of crops like that. That's not really where um, our interest of investment is. I don't really think that's where there's an opportunity for premium, you know, because um, the more you finish a product, right? Like, okay, if you cut down a tree in the forest and you just sell the log, you're going to get a pretty low price. But if you mill that into a, you know, square block, you're going to get a different, if you do it into the planks for the decking, you're going to get even a higher. If you do it into cutting boards, teak cutting boards that for people's kitchens, you're going to get even higher, right? So with every level of more finishing of the good, you tend to get um, a greater premium. And so I think it's important to look for things where you can do that when you can, not every product, but it's nice to have that opportunity. We have that um, 
with the coconuts that we're doing down in Colombia. And yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. It's been such an education because you don't realize that, I mean, every part of the coconut can be used. The husks are used. Um, if you, uh, if you harvest them when they're mature and brown, then you have the coconut meat, a good amount of the coconut meat inside, which is kind of like dried. If you've ever had it in your trail mix when you're hiking and oh, stuff yeah. like that, the dried the coconut is fabulous, right? And then the coconut milk and all of that. Now, when you, if you take the, off the coconuts and harvest them when they're more green, well, then you shake them and you can hear it, the water inside. That's when they're very high coconut water content. And so, yeah, so, right. So there's all these different aspects and, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating what we've gone through in this um, farm that, that, that we're um, brokering now is we have been a part, Peter and I, my partner and I, of the development project, which started by buying an old family farm that the younger generation didn't, you know, it was kind of like their weekend playground. They have horses there and other things. They were doing cattle. Um, they have teak planted and they had, but it was like 560 hectares or so. And they were like, yeah, we don't really want to farm like our parents did. And so, and so they were looking for a capital infusion to kind of help run the farm and do maybe something more with it that they could participate in and then eventually roll out of. And so we're at that point where we've um, used the initial cash flow from the cattle to help feed the operation, we'd done the market research on the coconuts, knowing that most coconuts are produced in Asian countries, right? Indonesia, Philippines, and so forth. Those are the big coconut producers. Yet their trees are starting to age out. So these coconut trees typically, you know, 60 years or so is the number of years of yield that you're going to get out of them, right? Pretty good annuity stream there, eh? <laughs> but but the thing but the thing is like once they get towards the end of their life, right, they start to deplete like the amount of coconuts that they're generating. And so Colombia entering this market being the first, they used a Malayan hybrid dwarf tree, which the hybrid trees, the uh, sorry, the dwarf trees start to yield a little bit earlier than the really tall trees. And they're also easier to harvest from. And so specifically chose this tree, super resistant to, re to disease. It has both green and yellow coconuts. So there's kind of some variety there. And we've been able to do it organically. And the upfront cost is really in the organic part. And then once you get them going, they are hardy freaking trees. And it's pretty hard to kill them, to be honest, you know. Um, so we've had 230 hectares we've planted. That's 32,000 coconut trees. And yeah, right. It's only been about a 10, 15% mortality rate, which you get in any farming thing. Anytime you're planting trees, right? Maybe that one didn't get quite enough water, this, that, whatever. The drainage wasn't right over there, what have you. Um, but this year, we will have our first commercial harvest. So we planted in 2016. So it's super exciting for us that, you know, 2021 will be this whole first year commercial harvest. And um, so it's an unusual opportunity for investors to participate in farmland and get a quick path to cash flow. So what we've learned as farmland investors is most of these uh, investments are in a sort of development phase, right? And so you're putting your capital in and it's patient capital and you're waiting a bit till you start to see the returns. But then obviously you get a nice longevity of returns um, for the 40, 50, 60 years that they're, that they're yielding. But 
that's not always conducive to most people's desires in terms of investing, right? They're looking to put their money in things and they want to get fairly immediate cash flow like they might expect from a multifamily, which of course we do as well, right? Raise money for other asset managers who we've vetted and feel strongly about. And so this is a unique opportunity and we've gotten to structuring it this way because we've only ever been able to accommodate the accredited investor. And we do realize there's a lot of millennials out there that are um, educated working professionals are certainly savvy enough to understand analysis and, 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 and the due diligence that should go into these investments, but they might not quite be there at that accredited place to be investing. And then the tough part is, but you need those kind of investments to be able to get accredited, right? Like that's kind of how your wealth grows. And so we love this because it's ownership, direct title ownership. We're literally taking those 230 acres. We took the first subdivision that was planted, which is the first 30 hectares. We subdivided them into one hectare lots and one hectare is 2.47 acres. And so that two and a half acres becomes your lot. You directly hold title to it. And then you have, just like you would have a property manager for uh, a multifamily, you have a farm manager. That's the, that's the team that's on the ground doing the work every day, right? And so you have a contract ongoing with them, kind of like an HOA, if you will, like, oh, okay, so you're participating in this agreement We're because they're still farming. It's our group farming that whole land. We're the ones that built the farm, know the farm and all of that, right? So there's that continuity, but you're getting to participate in the expenses, but also participate in the profit across that 30 hectare subdivision. Because what happens if your tree gets a disease or something on it, or it gets a bug on it or something like that, and your lot's not yielding as much as the lot next door to yours, right? So this kind of de-risks for people because it's kind of a participation against that, you know, across that shared 30 um, hectare lot. And if you think about it, this makes sense. Farmers do not farm one individual lot at a time, right? They farm the whole thing. And so we're getting sort of the benefit of um, sharing in the risk and sharing in the rewards together, but still having the direct title ownership to the farmland. So guess what that means? Just like net operating income grows the market value of a multifamily asset, that net operating income grows the value of your farming asset as well. And so you're getting the appreciation of the land over those 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however long you decide to hold it. And there you go. That's a nice combination of both cash flow, steady, consistent cash flow, and also appreciation over time. I wanted to ask about the exits, but the exit strategy, right? Like, you know, while we're here, I want, I don't want to get too far away from that. You're saying 20, 30, 40, how do we, uh, you know, how do you sell, get out of the right, deal? Right, right. Right. So, so that was one of the things we thought was important too, because there's a lot of people that'll be like, wow, okay, gosh, I love that idea. Heck, if I bought a couple of lots, I could have those lots and that cash flow could fund my kids' college education instead of taking out loans or putting in the 529 plan when you don't know what's happening with index funds and these sorts of things, right? And they're like, but I don't know if I want 50 years. Like, I just kind of want like 10 or 20. And so what we have done as part of the asset managers and, and being um, in partnership with that asset manager as their designated farmland broker, we will take and relist that property for you, you know, at like a minuscule, you know, a retitling fee type of thing, you know, a couple hundred bucks. And um, 
you know, and then our, and then like the 3% sales fee, like you would have for any broker. Um, And so that's how people can get out of it because of the fact that we've got a hefty investor group um, between the asset manager and ourselves, thousands of other investors that are all kind of looking to come in at different times, different things happening, and we're always drawing new people in. And so we feel we have an active enough um, investor list that I mean, is it going to be like going on Robin Hood, click, and you sold? No. Well, you know, it's going to take 30, 60, 90 days, that kind of thing, right? But fairly fairly seamless, you know, in terms of a, a real estate transaction, just like you would expect in selling your home, right? Of course, in this market, you know, it's like 12 hours and you've got 10 offers, but <laughs> at least in Denver, I don't know what you're dealing with, but... <laughs> but so that's so that's the ability to exit is you can continue to hold it. You can continue. It can be a legacy investment. You can pass on to your heirs. I mean, this is like, right. And then, you know, as the trees age out, they start to replant, you know. And so this this is definitely could be an investment in perpetuity or it can be an investment that you're like, mm, I really want to do. I would say if you don't think you want to be in for 10 years, I don't know if I'd choose it. You know what I mean? It's probably not the right asset for you right now. Okay. You know, yeah, that that's makes just sense. my sense. The question comes up about, you know, multifamily syndications. Well, what if I want out in the air? Well, then it's probably not the right investment for you and that's fine, yeah. but you yeah. know, you may be ready for it. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, the, the multifamilies that we've been in have either been, you know, a pretty quick push value add, you know, three years in and out, maybe five years in and out. And then of course, as the market's been moving around, it's been we we do the analysis out seven years, 10 years. We do have an opportunity zone um, play as well. And so it's like, you know, that has to be 10 years by its nature. If you're going to get the full benefits of it, why wouldn't you, right? And so, you know, farmland, I do think, you know, I mean, it's different than multifamily. I think you should want to be a little bit of a longer term investor. Um, although we do other things in a shorter term space. I'm not sure if you'll be familiar with this, but... Um, are, Okay, so I come from a commercial lending background initially. So are you familiar with factoring? Okay, so factoring is basically lending against accounts receivable and inventory. Either or. Like, right, because you think some industries, if you have maybe a really long shipping cycle, like we have teak as well, uh, teak investment. And when you ship from Latin America to India, that's a long cycle. And then you got to wait for them to receive it and approve it and whatever. So you can be going like 90 days before you're even thinking about getting paid. And so that's a long cycle when you need to actually be using cash from your business to go buy the next bit of inventory that you can process that you can then sell, right? And so uh, Panama, in particular in Panama, it's run through the Panamanian government. They give tax credits to the farmers in Panama. Um, So we do this with our pineapples there. They give tax credits um, for the exports. So when you can show your bills of sale and and that you've shipped this amount of export out of the country, you'll get a tax credit from the Panamanian government. So it's back to the Panamanian government, but it may take them 18 to 24 months to pay out that tax credit. And the farmer's like, yeah, but I need to buy new seed now, you know, kind of thing or whatever it is that they're planting. And so factoring is about like, okay, great, I'll give you the money now, but I'm going to take the spread in between. Like I'll give you 90% of it. And then when the government pays me, I got, I got the 10%, I got my spread or whatever it is. In this case, it's 7%. But that is kind of, think about what options people have now for short term. Everybody wants to have a little cash around, but it's like, really? Like, 
0%, I mean, 0.1%, like there's, you can't get anything in a savings account. No one really puts their money in a CD or anything like that. So this is sort of an interesting vehicle that from my sort of commercial banking background, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. It's good for the farmer. It's good for somebody who wants to feel they have a investment in something that is backed by the, you know, by the government and Panama, Panama is in a pretty good position right now. They did a big sovereign debt raise in the middle of the pandemic in February, March. So um, we feel good about that. And it, it provides a nice kind of shorter term cash flow turn for people versus the longer term, right? Because you got your multifamily, which can be a little bit kind of in between. And then the uh, the rest of the farming stuff tends to be a little bit longer, longer term. And so this way we're able to provide sort of piece asset um, assets that people can invest in no matter what sort of cash flow they're looking to get in terms of timing. So that's kind of a fun, interesting twist. Like who would have thought of that, right? People don't realize that these opportunities really exist. And this is what I love about private equity and private business, you know? It's, you know, because it's not just real estate that we invest in, you know, sometimes it's the entire business that you're investing in. And so the thing that I hated about banking, but I love about real estate is that it's the most creative financing ever. Like people really think outside the box, a lot of different ways about how a deal can get done so that everybody can win. And you don't see that in the sort of stodgy traditional banking environment. I mean, even as entrepreneurs, we don't have W-2s. You want to get a mortgage? Forget about it. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's 10,000 more hoops you have to go through, right? Um, yeah. So it's fascinating. Fascinating nice. stuff. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break yeah. for our sponsor. I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Sure. All right. I'm ready. One. Shoot. First one, <laughs> what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment other than in my education? People. Relationships, man. Relationships have, yeah, rectified most things that have gone wrong. Um, that's it. I mean, relationships from a standpoint of who we partner with, who our investors are, and also mentors, really mentors and masterminds. Sorry, my dog's over here. Yeah, it sounds like you got me. a dog Stop. trying to say hi. <laughs> I know funny. he is. <laughs> but ment- mentors, mentors and masterminds, other entrepreneurs have been, you know, that's whether they're in your business or not, that mastermind, if you've ever been involved in a mastermind, which can be entrepreneurs from, from, a, from the same industries or a lot of different industries, but it helps you see your blind spots. And they're expensive to get into sometimes. And you're like, eek, eek. but I'll tell you what, it's life-changing. It can really accelerate your learning and your success and your network and that of those that you're working with. So those nice. can be phenomenal. That's good feedback. I've been thinking about joining one myself recently. So yeah, uh, do it, Taylor. <laughs> appreciate hearing that. Sure. On the other side of that, we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Worst investment. Um, worst investment, I would say, other than letting people kind of waste your time, you know, like by lacking your own focus, because sometimes yeah. you can do that because there can be a lot of shiny objects out there. But I would say of true investment investment, my very first overseas farmland investment, because I was enamored too much with the product, the crop, and, and didn't 
focus enough on following the trail all the way through the sale. So we've really learned and we've created this ag investment matrix for how to analyze ag investments. Multifamily is pretty formulaic, we know, right? Ag investments is a different way of looking at it. And so we, in following that seed to sale, we went from like seed to harvest. We, and we kind of took their word, but didn't really investigate deeply and drill down into sort of the whole offtake agreement and thinking about, um, is there an internal market as well as an external export market? Those, those two things were really, because, right, because think about all the supply chain interruptions, global supply chain interruptions, all the stuff we're going through now. Well, for example, in Colombia, Colombia is 60 million people. They still have a strong internal market to buy the offtake, you know, from your farm. Panama's got 4 million people. Doesn't have that same internal market. So you need to pay attention to those things. Yeah, so, so, so I think being too eager and too enamored um, with the product and knowing that there was super strong demand for it, but not really being sure that there were kind of numerous ex- exit plans for the, for the farmer in, in terms of selling the fruit. And, um, and so what that... You know, I mean, so it's still ongoing and it's just been a longer, more painful road to cash flow. That's a really you know, interesting insight. Live and learn. Yeah. It's why we, it's why we created, Taylor, this, this um, agriculture risk uh, assessment matrix to go through all of these things and go, shit, we did not be, we were not as data driven as we should have been. And we should have had more process around um, the, all the particulars of farming, you know what I mean? There's so many pieces to it. So live and learn. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important mm-hmm. lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Most important, never forfeit your integrity, never forfeit your integrity. You know, a lot of people, especially in real estate, there can be a lot of shysters, especially when you go overseas, sure. there can be a lot oh, of shysters, yeah. right? It's just never worth it. It's a small world, you know, and you are your word. It's rare these days, I feel like, that, that you find real true integrity in your partners. And so it's, it's, that is the most important thing in, in my perspective. Because here's the stuff. We're all grownups here. We're not kindergarten. Investments go, go wrong. Things go awry. But you have to be transparent communicative. You need to treat people like adults, let them know what's going on, let them know how you are adjusting to address the issue. And uh, yeah, just not, and the same goes for like, I'm not going to tell somebody that like, like if they don't want to be in a farmland investment for, they want to be in for two years, I'm not going to go, oh yeah, you should do it. You know, you'll get it's two years of cash flow. You're going to make 15% for two years and then just sell it. No, that's not having integrity. It's not right for them. And so sacrificing your integrity for profit is, I've just seen so many people do it and it just never goes well. And so that's, that's been the most important lesson is it's never worth it. You might think you're in a crunch. You might think you have to get this done. It's never, never worth it. And that transparency and that integrity brings people back to you, even if it wasn't the right time or the right investment, then it brings people back to you, Nice, you know, because they know you're going to be a straight shooter. And uh, yeah, I, I think people, people perceive, perceive that particularly, you know, smart people who uh, have worked hard and, you know, built up a uh, high income and, you know, are exactly. and everything. usually they tend to be a little, uh, yeah, they're like, wiser. don't be jank. Don't be yanking my chain. They're like, you know, cause people see through it anyway, to some degree, they feel something's not right. And, um, yeah, it's just not worth it. 
it's not worth it. Love it. Well, Karen, thank you for joining us today. If uh, folks want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about things yeah. you have going on, where can they find you? Sure, sure. Well, they can find us at globalinvestoralliance.com and they can book a session with us. We always offer free strategy sessions for 30, 40 minutes and we usually go over because we love meeting and, and talking to other investors. Um, and to, we want to see if it's a right mix for people, right? If, if, if being involved in our investor club and our investments makes sense. And so that's why it's kind of like an invitation thing. That's why we have a real live conversation like this. We want it to be right for you and right for us and right for the group, the collective, you know, because we want this to be an elevated learning community. That just continue, we continue to invest with for life, you know? So globalinvestoralliance.com. And then the other place, if they're interested in uh, the coconuts and other um, farmland direct title ownership that we have coming down the pike, they should go to go.buythefarm.net and they can learn more about it there. Cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us today. I think it's a fascinating topic and you brought some yeah. really uh, interesting insights to us. And I think important insights uh, as well. So certainly appreciate that to everybody out yeah. there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more <laughs> passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one.